Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning as we uh, worship God together and praise God. I um, hope everyone is having a happy and a safe Mardi Gras season so far. Uh, Leanne and I went to the, a Mardi Gras parade last night and um, we caught one Frisbee. So it was a good night. And then we got out before the rain, which made it even a better night. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been, a, it's been a, a good season for us. And you know, we're in this season of epiphany here in the church and we've been considering... Um, how God reveals God's self to us and what that can mean and what it can look like and what it feels like and its purposes and all these different possibilities and opportunities that we find in God's revelations. And um, we're going to continue that today. And uh, as we think about revelation and how God reveals God's self to humanity, to us as individuals and as a community, uh, there are four, at least four different models of revelation that the church has wrestled with and developed over um, our 2,000-year history as a church. And um, the, one of the first ones is the idea of Scripture and um, doctrinal statements. And, that, that's, and, and, and moving beyond that to tradition, how these three notions of, of the written word and whether it's in Holy Scripture or in these uh, creedal statements, doctrinal statements, or in traditions of the church, how they inform us the truths of God that have been revealed over the centuries. And so we, we hold the Scripture and we look at it as a form of revelation. And, and we can do that. But Karl Barth, theologian, cautions against that. And he doesn't want us to rest solely on the Scripture as a, as a revelation, quote-unquote, if you will. For, for Karl Barth, the, the revelation of God, the self-revelation of God is the Word of God that was made flesh in Jesus Christ. That's the fullest revelation of God is Jesus Christ, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the revelation. The Holy Scriptures, the Bible that we hold in our hands, that, that is the witness to the Word of God, to this wonderful, powerful, and beautiful revelation, self-revelation of God. And that continues in what Karl Barth says is, is the proclaimed uh, word of God. So when we, in preaching in, in the, in the, in a, as an act before and with the community of faith, that continues this threefold formula of the word of God that is a revelation. So the life and the death and the res resurrection of the word of God, that is Jesus Christ, is the revelation the fullest revelation of the self-revealing God. The scriptures that we read, that we will read this one we've read already, these are witnesses to the, to the Word of God. And then as we proclaim the Word of God, and here as a community of faith, and in the world around us, that continues the witness of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ as the revelation there are, there are other models of revelation. There's the idea of presence, that this, there's this presence of God with us as individuals. That is a revelation. That's a model of a revelation. 
that we feel God's presence with us in some tangible way or even intangible way, maybe some unexplainable way, mysterious way. That These are revelations of God. And then there's the, the whole notion of, of experience, that there's a personal experience that God allows and God invites into his will, invites us as individuals. And we're granted this incredible experience. And then Wolfhard Pannenberg, who's a German theologian, like, uh, had, his own, had his own idea, his own notion of what revelation looks like, a model, if you will. And he talks about the God of history, that, that human history reveals God. Or rather, God is revealed through human history. When there is some universal um, act that we can interpret as the act of God that is, that is for all people in a particular place, in a particular time in human history, this is the self-revealing God revealing epiphanies. And so we kind of wrestle with this as a church and as individuals. What do we do with this information? What do we do with these experiences and this presence and this history? How do, how do we wrap our hands around this? And that, what does it mean for us? That's what we've been kind of working our way through. And as I kind of continue to, to, to wrestle with this whole idea of, of, of epiphany, as we, as we all do, because ultimately, God is mystery. No matter what revelation we experience, no matter what revelation of presence we have, no matter what revelation we, we find a witness to through the proclamation or by reading the scriptures, no matter what revelation we find in, in the vast course of human history, these are all, all incomplete. We cannot fully know God as God fully knows us. God, the divine, is this wonderful, powerful, beautiful mystery that we just cannot fully know. But God, in God's grace and in God's love and in God's will and desire for us, gives us these glimpses, gives us these experiences and this sense of presence and these holy words that allow us glimpses into His character. The truths of God. But not the whole truth, because we can't, we can't hold that. You know, Leanne and I were, we got married several years ago, and, and well, a long time ago. The truth be told. And as I, as I said earlier this morning, it's probably longer for her than it is for me. But on our the day after our wedding, we were married in Jackson, Alabama. We drove down here to Mobile and um, spent our first night here in Mobile. Then we got up the next morning and, and flew out to Seattle, where we rented a car. And then we um, drove to a, a ferry station and took a ferry over to Vancouver Island, where we spent a few days. And it's gorgeous. It's just beautiful. And after a few days in, in uh, Victoria and Vancouver Island, we, we took the ferry back over to, to Vancouver where we were going to drive up that evening uh, to uh, Whistler, which is a big ski resort. This was in August, so we weren't planning on any skiing. But we, we, we had our plan to, to, to drive up to Whistler from Vancouver. And, 
And so by the time we got back to um, Vancouver, it was starting to get late in the day and dark was beginning to settle in. And, but we got in our, drove off the ferry and got on this road called the Sea to Sky Highway. And we started making our way up this up the, it's the Cascade Mountain Range. And uh, we were driving along. It, it was, you know, we could see, we could kind of feel ourselves and see that we were getting to, you know, increase in elevation as we were going. And we kept driving. And then it was dark. We were still driving. And the road was getting really curvy, like really curvy. And um, we were driving along, our headlights were on, and, and, and cars that were, I guess, who lived there were kind of right on our bumper, like trying to get us. And I was, you know, I'm from Florida. I don't, I don't drive in the mountains, especially at night. So I'm kind of taking my time, trying to be as careful as I can. And, and, I, and I'm looking at, at the headlights, and I'm, I could see only what the headlights would show me on this curvy road. And, and, and we began to see like these sheer rock mountainsides. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, look at that. That's just, but you'd only see about six or eight feet up. And then as we kept driving, we, we began to see that there was a lot of chain link fencing that was over all this, this, this sheer rock facing. And I'm, we're, I'm like, that's kind, of, that's kind of weird, kind of unnerving to see this chain link fencing. And then every now and again, we'd see a caution, a big yellow caution sign that says, look, watch for falling rocks. Well, I can only see about six or eight feet up. I don't know what's up there. I have no idea. That's just sheer darkness up there. And then I look out to the left, and there is nothing but darkness on the left side of the road. And there's these cars behind me nudging me along to go faster and faster. And finally, they just begin to pass me. And these Porsches and sports cars and trucks are just passing me like I'm standing still. And I'm like, my knuckles are white, and I'm driving this thing. And I'm just, I can't, I can't, I can only see what was in front of me. Well, we... We finally made it to Whistler, and we got in our hotel, and we spent wonderful three days or whatever long it was there, and we hiked, and we mountain biked, and we went to walk on a glacier, and that was, that was kind of fun, and never, never done that since, so that, that was a good trip, and um, then we started making our way back. We got back in our rental car, and we made our way back to the Sea to Sky Highway, and and there's all these wonderful vistas along the way. You can look out over the mountain range. You, there was a place you can pull over and, and, and look at a, at a waterfall. It was beautiful. And we kept going, and I began to see some of that fencing. In the daylight, I could see how far it went up. And you could see crumbled rock along the edge of the road and trapped in some of the crevices up above. And, and I began to see those signs. And then I looked out on the other side, and there was nothing. Nothing was there. Not trees, not low-lying ground, not marsh, nothing but air for as far as you can imagine. And I thought to myself, you know, if I had known this was, if I had seen a picture of this, I wouldn't have driven it at nighttime. I would have waited. I would have slept in Vancouver at night and got up the next day and driven in the daylight when it was safe. But I didn't know any of that. And I only had these headlights that were showing me just, you know, a few... 10 yards or whatever far a headlight goes, I couldn't see any of this danger and any of this wonder or any of this beauty or any of this power that was all around me. Couldn't see it until the next day. And I was floored. It was, it was amazing. If you ever have the opportunity to drive the Sea to Sky Highway, do it. But do it in the daytime. 
That's kind of what epiphany is, is like. Is that we have this great mystery that we're, we're traveling along with and it's, it's moving us forward down this road, down this path that maybe we've never been down before, but it's constantly moving. And it's twisting and it's turning and we can't see all of the dangers, but they're there. Some of them are, are deadly. We can't see the dangers that are well in front of us and we can't see the dangers we've already passed and we can't see the dangers that are way up above us or way below us. But God, in God's epiphany and in God's revelation, gives us enough light to see where we can safely drive, where we can safely place our feet to follow Him, to continue moving forward with God. Our, our gospel passage this morning shows some, just some of that. As we read the gospel passage from Mark, it's Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. As we, as we hear this passage read, remember that this is a witness to the Word of God. These words are a testimony to Jesus Christ. And as you hear this testimony, keep in mind those words we we heard earlier James read those words about, from Isaiah about have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God. This is a witness to the revelations of God. So I invite us now to hear Mark chapter 1 beginning in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues, and casting out demons. And may God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. This was kind of the pattern for Jesus and his ministry. It's a pattern for Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he traveled throughout the Gentile regions. They would um, go into a synagogue in whatever town they were visiting, and there they would find the community of faith, God's people, who were there gathered to pray and to read and study and fellowship. And he would greet them, and he would read. He would participate in the services of the synagogue, And he would proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And then also we find in the Gospel of Mark that he would heal people there. 
He would grant sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He would cast out unclean spirits and possessive demons. As he was doing this in Capernaum, he leaves Capernaum and returns with Peter to his home. And there we find uh, Peter's family, his wife and his mother-in-law are all gathered in one house. But his mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And, and in this age, in this time, a fever was critical because there was no antibiotics. This is pre-modern medicine. So a fever could lead to death. This could be a symptom of death. So they were afraid for, his, for their mother-in-law, and, and they told Jesus, and once they, once they entered the house, at once they told him, our mother-in-law is sick with a fever in the back. And we're told that Jesus goes into that room and lifts her up, and her fever leaves her. And then she goes right to work, preparing the meal, preparing the table, taking care of the guest. And some people have flinched at that, this whole notion that shouldn't Jesus have said, you know what, you just, you've been sick, just relax. Just, you just take it easy for a while. But this was, this was her way to serve. This was her way to control the house, to, to greet and to, to follow her call. And so we can find Jesus in this epiphany of healing of Peter's mother-in-law as a way for her to receive her wholeness back to be able to serve, to be able to cook, to be able to do what she's supposed to do that, that no one else could do in her home without her approval. In a patriarchal system, this was one of the few occasions that the woman of the household had full reign. And so it was a blessing for her to be able to serve again, to be able to, to enter into that, into that world to be part of the community, to be part of the household again, to take her role in the household again. It's a blessing. Well, after this, we, we know that you know, word has been spreading about Jesus and, and people are hearing about him and they, they want to they hear him, they want to see him, they want to touch him, they want to experience all that he's able to do, all that he's able to say, because they have heard him speak and he speaks with authority. They've heard, they've heard tell of him healing people and casting out demons and, un, and unclean spirits. They, they want to experience that. And so people were coming from all over the town to, to be touched, to experience and be in the presence of God, to hear what he had to say, to experience this authority. And, and if we read carefully in the Gospel of Mark, in this passage, we can see where, where Jesus Christ acts with divine authority and he heals those who are ill. He casts out demons and unclean spirits. He does this without prayer. He just does it. And then we find after, after this day and night of, of gathering around and pressing in, that he finds... He finds time in the early morning to go to a, a deserted place, a place from, away from all of the demands, away from all of the, uh, the, the pressure so that he might pray. So we have these two sides of the same coin. In the word of God, we have the divine Jesus who heals without prayer who cast out demons and unclean spirits without prayer because he has the authority to do that, the authority of God to do just that. 
But on the other side of the coin, we have this image of the Son of Man. We have this image of a human praying, seeking peace, seeking strength to continue the journey. We have an image of Jesus Christ who is fully divine and fully human. What a remarkable way that Mark shows witness to this revelation of Jesus Christ. We read further. We were told that the disciples were hunting for him. You know, they've been doing all this incredible work. He's been healing people, casting out demons and unclean spirits. And people want more. The word, more word has gotten out, and they want more. And they've gathered around Simon Peter's house again. And they want to they want, they want to see more of Jesus. They want to hear more of Jesus. They want to be more present with Jesus and him more present with them. They want that experience. They want that epiphany, that revelation. Jesus, they're, they're demanding to see you. They're demanding to hear from you. They, they need a touch from you. They need to be with you. And what does he say? Well, let us go to the neighboring towns. Because that's what I'm called to do. This is my mission, to proclaim the good news, the gospel, that the, that the kingdom of God has come near to all people. And so we have this this sense in the Gospel of Mark that the, this epiphany of Jesus Christ, this revelation of God never stops moving. There's a sense of urgency and immediacy in this to constantly move forward, to go where we may not understand, to go where we can't fully see, to go and, and to trust God as far as our headlights will allow us, as far as the light of God will show us our steps. We can't always see the dangers around us that are on either side, are in front of us, or behind us. But we trust in this God, this God who reveals himself to us in ways that are graceful and beautiful and powerful, but always mysteriously. And that divine mystery constantly moves us forward as a church to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. It constantly moves us forward as individuals to grow nearer to God in our faith, in our trust. To not worry too much about what we can't see. To not worry too much about the dangers that are all around us all the time. Just keep moving. Keep moving with God. And maybe that's one of the purposes. Perhaps that's the purpose of these epiphanies and these revelations of God is to constantly draw us to God and God's self, constantly move us forward to urge and push, to lead, to lead us into places we may not otherwise go into places that we might otherwise say, I need to wait until it's daylight and I can know all things because the truth of the matter is we can never know all things. And God invites us to trust God in spite of all things. And that's our hope, my hope and my prayer 
for us as a church, for myself as an individual and my family, and for you as my church family, that we will continue to trust God when we can't see all things. He can't understand all things. But just trust and move. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's what I ask. Amen.